Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. Today, I'm joined by Noreen Niazi of Muslim Women Connect and John Terry of PwC. Noreen has worked for over 30 organisations, from startup and wealth management firms to working in education and on farms. And most recently, Noreen worked at EY Foundation, a charity committed to helping young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to realise their career ambitions. She is co-founder of Muslim Women Connect, an initiative bringing together Muslim women from a broad range of careers and different walks of life in order to network, connect and nurture the next generation of women. Noreen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. John Terry is a member of PwC's Global Financial Services Leadership Team. Within this remit, John is responsible for the people strategy of some 60,000 global financial services specialists around the world. As head of the firm's UK diversity and inclusion consulting practice, John advises firms on all aspects of their diversity and inclusion challenges, from creating strategies and action plans to developing leadership, performance, remuneration and communications policies, processes and practices. John, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. So as always, at the start of the show, we invite each of our guests to take approximately a minute to tell us what you're up to. So Noreen, let me come to you first of all. What, what are you up to at the moment? Of course. Um, so we're currently running a six-month mentoring program for young women where we connect them with professionals across sectors. So that's in full swing right now. We are looking to expand all across the UK. So that's what we're looking to do this year. And we're currently working on some research that's going to be published in Parliament on the experiences of Muslim women in work. So that's some exciting stuff we're currently working on. Great. And when that comes out, do let us know because we'd love to, to promote that through the, the podcast as well. Splendid. John, let, let me ask you the same question. What are you up to at the moment? Well, I'm privileged to work with many financial service organisations on their diversity and inclusion challenges. As you probably know, uh, firms sort of fit into two buckets. Those primarily, but not exclusively, banks that have really been focused on this issue for a long time, about a decade or more, many. And those that, frankly, have only really come into it the last year or two. And so we do a lot of work with the second bucket, helping organisations put what I call the fundamentals in place, putting real diversity inclusion policies properly linked to their business strategies in place to really move from just senior sponsorship at the board to really having accountability frameworks throughout the organisation, particularly being clear on what we expect the so-called permafrost middle management to be doing to drive the agenda. And a major, major focus, a lot of our work is helping organisations get a grip with data. Um, and to not only extract that data, but to analyze that data so they can work up action plans that are meaningful rather than just doing whatever the next organization does, which by luck might be useful for them. And lastly, is really helping organizations with their internal communications and awareness programs, and indeed externally to help them build a more positive reputation in this space. Um, this has been increasing work, you won't be surprised to know, following the gender pay disclosures, um, and indeed really ticked up a lot. Uh, following the necessity uh, pay reporting consultation. So an awful lot of work helping organisations figure out what enhances reputation and how transparent the organisation should really be. Great. And of course, there was the invitation for consultation uh, that came out in the beginning of January. So we're looking forward to seeing what comes out of that. I mean, can I pick up on that point, particularly around um, ethnic minorities as well, and, and particular initiatives that you're undertaking at PwC to, to address that gap? 
Yes, I think it's fair to say that um, uh, the focus of organisations um, on moving the dial and on in being more inclusive ethnic minorities is only really starting. Uh, for some organisations like PwC, that's been for a few years, but not many years. Nothing like that. The focus has been um, on gender. Um, and one of the key issues for us at PwC is um, destigmatizing uh, the whole debate around race. Uh, we've been very proud of what we've been doing around mental health the last few years um, to raise mental, mental health awareness, make people more and more comfortable. People are not comfortable talking about racial issues. And we had a big focus on that. We called it Colour Brave. And uh, we've had a big focus on that for the last 18 months, two years, to really get people to um, open up irrespective of the ethnicity, uh, to really open up around what are the challenges so that the organisation can really understand that many of these challenges are different from the challenges for women, for those with mental health problems, uh, those in the LGBT plus community, etc. Um, so we've, that's been a real focus for us. And then we've been doing a number of, of very specifics on the back of that. But I just wanted to highlight, really getting the debate going has been a really key and, thing and for what, us. What are, do walk us through some of the specifics and, and I'm very keen to hear what impact they've had. Um, the, the, the first thing, as I said, is really understanding some of the challenges. Um, and so um, you can probably tell, listener, that you know I'm a late middle-aged white straight man um, and so how am I going to understand the challenges uh, of a Muslim woman uh, in the workplace um, and I make a load of assumptions about those challenges and most of them are not spot on and so we have really been encouraging uh, all of our people uh, to uh, be much more open and for leadership to understand the uh, the differences it's not one great big amorphous mass not everyone who isn't white has exactly the same challenges. Um, and of course, there's an intermingling of faith um, with ethnicity as well, uh, which is uh, really important. And so we have a sustained program uh, throughout the business of uh, really getting that debate going and then taking those issues back to the, the different business units. And so we don't have separate uh, initiatives across the entire business around ethnicity. Uh, that falls within our overall approaches on inclusion and creating more inclusive workplaces. But we do in, in relation to the specific parts of our business. And one of the biggest challenges, for example, in my part of the business um, uh, is very much around um, uh, putting yourself forward, uh, speaking up. Um, and in, in, in the uh, client advisory business, being able to get on those really interesting career-defining projects is incredibly important uh, for individuals to develop their skills, to get better networks and attention of, of leadership. Uh, and without doing that, it's really hard uh, to really develop and move on in the organization. Um, and what we often find um, uh, is that uh, within uh, our ethnic minority communities, uh, many feel much more um, reticent um, to push themselves forward for for um, expressing why they are why they got the right skills uh, to get on certain projects, um, and so we we have a big focus on what we call fair work allocation, to to take the subjectivity um, of uh, allocating work uh, to uh, team members uh, out of it and become much more objective, and and uh, have a, a checks and balances with our resourcing specialists away from people like myself who resource our own projects, and that's been a real major step forward. A long way to go. Um, but that for us in our type of the business, that's probably the most important central point outside of general inclusion. Because there, there are a number of things that sort of picked up from that. So one, one of them is about sort of challenging assumptions. And the second with them was about uh, fair work allocation and uh, having a sustained progress across the entire organisation as well. How, how does that bear out? Is that in terms of... Um, 
specific networks, reverse mentoring? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but can you give us some insights into how does that actually display itself on a day-to-day basis? We have a a five-point inclusion plan, and one of those important uh, elements is actually around sponsorship. But being uh, really clear around senior leaders um, taking true ownership um, in a partnering way uh, with our talented individuals across the spectrum, but particularly in our firm, we focus uh, on women, on those of ethnic minorities, um, and they take a proactive role um, in in not just helping individuals, but opening up networks uh, for uh, highlighting and giving greater exposure uh, to uh, the individuals and, frankly, uh, for fighting their corners, uh, which is really important. No, let me turn to you then at this point. It's the co-founder of the Women Muslim Network. Talk to us a little bit about the, the network itself and also some of the challenges that people face when they enter the workforce. So we work with a number of um, young people, but also professionals across different networks. So anything between... 18 to 28, which is the age of our mentees, to a mu- to much older, so above 28, um, to, you know, if we have mentors who are like 50, in their 50s or in their 60s. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges we face is even Muslim women getting their foot in the door. So we talk about Muslim women who've kind of um, gone into the financial services or who've gone into different sectors, but actually a lot of the issues Muslim women are facing are even getting a chance or an opportunity to be able to work or um, be able to progress in whatever they want to do. There are lots of reports that came out recently. So in 2016, the parliamentary report on the Women and Equality Committee presented that Muslim women specifically are three times more likely to be unemployed than women in general. And that was like a very shocking fact for us. And I think a lot of um, girls who are my age, you know, we've experienced it, but seeing it on paper is like, Mm -hmm. wow, um, it's as bad as we thought it was. It's crazy if you think about the figures. Um, And so we thought about how, like, what are the actual challenges? And it's a much broader conversation because you can talk about diversity and inclusion, all of these things. But actually, if it's to do with Islamophobia and discrimination, which is what a lot of the young girls we work with have said that they faced, you know, it's talking about the rhetoric in the white, in wider society. You know, it's, it's the media, it's representation, it's stereotyping. And then it goes down to unconscious bias and things like that. You know, there was recently a report on BBC how Muslims feel like they need to change their names on applications because they're more likely to be employed if they have um, a whiter name or um, a less Muslim name. So I think there are some like structural issues that are really important to address. And of course, diversity and inclusion is so important in all of in looking at all of these things. But it's also a much a much wider problem which which we need to face. And I guess there are so many recruitment practices that we can do to to help that process. You know, like training, like John talked about, ensuring that. There, there is dialogue and people feel confident enough to talk about race and talk about the issues that they face in work. So I would say one of the biggest issues for the people that I've come across is actually getting their foot in the door and actually being able to have an opportunity to have the networks um, in those places. Because when I was growing up, I didn't see anyone who looked like me. And I was like, where are all of, um, you know, women who are ethnic in director roles or manager roles? And it was only until I was 21 or 22 that I was like, wow, I found one. Like, that's amazing. Um, and that shouldn't be the case because there are lots of women doing really incredible things um, a- across the sector. And, you know, it's it's for us to spotlight them and to give them a platform um, and for them to kind of m- 
mentor and network and nurture the next generation, which we, which we try to do. And when you look at organisations that have attracted and have opened the door and have actually attracted and retained good Muslim young female talent, are there any particular things that you would commend them for that other organisations should be replicating? Yeah, of course. So we've had some of our mentees who've worked for smaller organisations have had issues where they've asked for prayer space and their employers are not that culturally aware and they haven't been trained on on different religions or cultural practices and things and one of our mentee told us um that her manager said oh you can pray in the bathroom and like for, for us that was really shocking like how is you know there such little cultural awareness in you know in these kind of organizations and i think what i used to work at ey and i feel like what a lot of financial services have done really well is provide those kind of spaces um celebrate diversity and you know see it as a real positive and a real strength and so i think those kind of initiatives really do help. It's creating an environment where you feel like you can talk to your manager, you can talk to someone who's more senior than you about your your faith and feel comfortable and not feel like it's going to hinder your progress. And, and when you uh, are supporting the young talents coming through, and you mentioned also about working with mentors as well, do corporates come to you and ask for your advice and your support in, in, in trying to uh, improve their understanding and also just, I suppose, empathy? Yeah, of course. So we work with a couple of corporates. They ask us um, and we ask them to actually give back. So if they genuinely say, like, we want more Muslims in our workplace or we want to create a more inclusive and diverse environment where uh, management understand the kind of complexities that especially women face, we offer, like, we do meetings with them. We ask them if they want to run a training session, if they want to learn from our mentees. So we do lots of different masterclasses. We did some at HSBC and EY. And that's been really great for them. And it's been really good for us as well, because it means that we get all of that talent, helping young people navigate how you know they can get more confident or how they can negotiate their pay. So like that's a really big thing that we face. A lot of not just Muslim women, but ethnic minorities in general, they're never taught how to negotiate their wage like it's you know when they get a job they think that oh it's amazing like I should be so thankful that I have this job and I'm not going to even negotiate my pay or I've never been taught to do that so these really basic things are things that you know they don't have the skills to do and so teaching you know how to know your worth how to build your personal brand how to be able to negotiate those things and you know have the confidence you know as John said um to come forth and talk about you know where do I want to go in the future and what do I need um in order to get there and uh, funny enough you you just mentioned back to John's comments and I was really picking up on that as well in terms of you know the, the appetite and and I guess from PwC's perspective the inclination to want to support talents to step up and and put themselves forward for things but there is a cultural blend that needs to be to be navigated there I'm, I'm really keen to see where we can think about how how corporates and individuals can intersect both within organisations and also outside organisations as well. Anything that Noreen's talked about here that particularly strikes a chord with you? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, Noreen was um, mentioning smaller organisations and one of the issues for smaller organisations is they may only have 
you know, a relatively small, in absolute terms, number of individuals uh, from ethnic minority backgrounds. Um, and so it's really difficult for them to establish networks, to create programs. And it's really important, uh, particularly in organizations, uh, industry like financial services, that uh, collaborate, incredibly important that we collaborate, that networks uh, are open across the sector. Um, I think the insurance sector is doing that really well. The investment management savings sector is beginning to do that, particularly through the diversity project and Helena Morris's uh, project really well. Um, and that's really important, uh, particularly there's large chunks of the industry that have um, large numbers of organizations, a fairly small number of employee size. So I think that's important for two particular reasons. One, uh, so that um, th there can be um, support uh, across, so you're not just looking up and normally say, I can't see, you know, where's the other person at that sort of higher level? Well, they may not be in your organization, but they are around the city. And so that's really important that they can, that you're opening up um, that visibility as well as the networks. So that networking is incredibly important. Um, I think the, the second thing is that the companies themselves can learn from each other more in a, in a practical, you know, uh, rolling up your sleeves way. I think that's incredibly important. Diversity inclusion, uh, I'm hoping you agree, I'm sure you do, Julia, is one of those areas uh, where collaboration rises the tide for everybody. Um, it isn't a competitive uh, issue. It really is about rising the, 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 the tide for everyone. And I would like to ch perhaps chat about reputation for an individual organization a bit later. So I think that collaboration, I think, is incredibly important. What works in one organization may not work in another organization, but prompting the thinking is actually really, really important. And I think this point about sort of looking outside your organization to other networks as well. I was, I was really staggered. I, f I found this statistic that said that more than 50% of ethnic minority young talent will seek to move outside their organization uh, more confident that they'll move through their careers by moving than staying within an organization, which is, which is for large clients is, is a big question. And, uh, and I'm, I'm interested to, to what degree you intersect with other networks as well and, and your, your view of the inside world and the outside world almost. Are there any particular things that your, um, your members are telling you about how we can work with other networks and, and as you say, sort of rise the tides together? Or, or do we think that we've got quite a long way to go given where the numbers are today? I think we have a long way to go. I think if you're talking about ethnic minorities in, in managerial positions or in senior positions, especially the Muslim population, it's only 6% of Muslims who are in managerial positions, which is a, a tiny number. Um, and of, of course, it's a very complex topic and there's no kind of one solution to how you know, every single organisation can make it easier for, for people to work their way up the ranks. But a lot of the time when we talk to people, they say they find it hard to progress because when they get to a certain point, a lot of the ways that people get promotions is through like networking and with people who look different to them and in different environments. So there are lots of women who come up to us and say, you know, lots of people I know get promotions and you know they're in these circles and they go to um, they go for drinks together and you know we don't feel comfortable in those environments because we don't drink Thursday night drinks at the pub a classic yeah. example yeah so and it's not to say that you know organizations should stop going out for drinks and stuff but it's how do you, how do you make sure that everybody's given an equal kind of opportunity to network and um, and to have that opportunity to talk about career development and you know those those relationships 
are um, nurtured outside of the office in those kind of casual environments. So, you know, you're already at a bit of a disadvantage if you don't kind of partake in those kind of activities. Can you give us an example of something that firms could be doing? I mean, is there, is there a particular way in which reaching out to those networks would be particularly welcome? Or just even, even smaller things. So um, someone I know who is working in the financial services was telling me that her manager took um, lots of individuals out that she worked within a team individually for drinks and she didn't ask her because she knew she didn't drink but instead of just kind of ignoring her she could have asked her to go out for tea or coffee so just small things like that or creating an environment where you know that there, there are places outside of that where you can kind of have those conversations or talk which isn't just surrounded you don't have to you know, go, go out after work to be in that kind of environment where you ne- have to network like that. Which is incredibly important, isn't it? And, and it's again, it's that kind of stereotypical kind of we do our networking uh, outside working hours, but actually a lot of it can be done within working hours, provided that corporates give structure and permission for, for those networks to, to interact as well. It is very easy, I think, with organisations, when I think about the dynamics at play, and these are deeply complex, you know, it's all very well and good to sit here and say, oh, all you need to do is this and all you need to do that. But, you know, and again, these are working environments too. And one thing that some guests have said over the course of our four series now is that they are increasingly concerned about labelling in the appetite to recognise the complexity and the wonderful rich diversity that organisations are trying to make themselves attractive to is that there's a little bit of labelling and BAME being the classic example, you know, the black, Asian, minority, ethnic uh, brand as well. And there are some concerns around that in terms of the multiplicity of faith and economic background, socioeconomic background, personal backgrounds uh, and networks within that. Love to hear your your views and your thoughts on that. John, let me come to you first of all from uh, from the corporate perspective. Well, I'll start by saying that um, it's incredibly important to have data. So it's really important to understand uh, who your population is that it works for you. Um, and this is this is difficult because, um, you know, there's a balance here. Um, it's uh, It's harder to, to gather information across a multitude um, of categorization. Um, in fact, we've, we've, uh, we've been running um, a survey uh, on the back of the government's consultation ethnicity pay gap reporting. And one of the questions we were asked um, uh, organizations uh, was, uh, to what extent do they wish to collect that data? Because the significant majority do not collect that data at the moment. And the majority of organisations were saying, well, we go back to the 2011 census data, which are 11 categorisations. Um, and that is not going to satisfy a whole range of people. But there are a few issues that are really important here. And I think we have to separate the collection of the information and then the understanding of the issues. So I'm very specific. So as we move towards ethnicity pay gap reporting, if we have pay gap reporting uh, through a, a whole range of, of different angles, um, then most of that would not be reported because the numbers are so small, individuals can be identified. Um, and the ability for organizations to collect that um, will be really difficult. Um, so I'm a supporter on pay gap reporting, for example, to be BAME and non-BAME. Uh, however, and it's a really important however, organizations need to understand um, that um, Putting everyone into one great big bucket, and by the way, putting all white people in one great big bucket um, is just ridiculous. You know, individuals are individuals, um, and I've been in a lot of, lot of work, actually, um, in the black community, um, and uh, it's obvious me saying this out loud, and I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this, uh, but I hadn't understood the significant differences and challenges from black British 
black African, um, black Asian people, incredibly different. And even then, I've just simplified it, of course. So it's really important for organizations to understand the differences and the specifics of all their individuals that work for them, and not lump everyone into one great big bucket. But when it comes to collecting information and reporting that information, frankly, if that's done too complicated, it won't get done. And I'm a massive fan on transparency, a huge fan on what gets measured, gets focused and hopefully gets done. And, and Noreen, what, what are your opinions there in terms of uh, not only your personal view, but also the network view as well? I think it's a difficult one. I think um, it's important to have it. I think it's important, like, as you said, to re- for reporting and having data to, to know where the deficiencies are and to know where the areas to work on. I also think it's hugely generalized sometimes and people don't like, you know, DNI and BME always to be like those tick box activities where you feel like you're just a quota or you're fill- there. It's a, it's a personal joke that lots of us use. Like we're, I don't know if I actually got the job or if I'm just feeling like a diversity quota, um, which is troubling. But at the same time, I think it can be frustrating because it it limits you and you feel like you only get to where you are. Like there was an actor who I think he just won an award and he he said, I'm sick of people just constantly focusing on the color of my skin um, because I got this award for acting yet people are always talking about the color of my skin and my faith or this and that. And it's the same for us. So if, as Muslim Women Connect, we we care a lot about um, education, skill building and networking and things like that. Yet every day um, I, in my inbox, I have hundreds of emails from um, different newspapers who want us to speak on Muslim issues and like the hijab or burqas or burkinis. And it's and it's very like simplified and it's um, it's, it's very easy to just look at things very black and white and not look at thing, people as individuals. So I think it's really important that you have those criteria so you know that there are more BME people coming into work. But I think it's really dangerous if we put so much emphasis on it that, you know, we're only promoting people because, you know, we need to fill di- like diversity quotas and, you know, it's just a tick box activity. I think we need to create more humanity in DNI um, instead of it just being statistics and numbers and look at it as a human issue because like you're right people who are people of color people who have um, really complex issues it, it's really difficult to just put them in a box like there are so many more um, different things that you need to think about Wonderful. I think that's a great moment to just take a break there and we're going to turn to Robert and Cynthia to uh, provide some research to support the discussion today The 2016-17 UK Government report, Employment Opportunities for Muslims in the UK, concludes that Muslim women are three times more likely to be unemployed and twice as likely not to be in the job market in the first place. Additionally, the report states that Muslim women were 71% more likely to be unemployed than white Christian women even when education level, marital status, number of children, strength of religious belief and language abilities were similar. According to the 2017 CIPD report, addressing the barriers to BAME employee career progression to the top, around 14% of the UK working age population comes from black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. By 2030, this figure is expected to be closer to 20%. BAME employees are significantly more likely than white British employees to say that someone's identity or background can have an effect on the opportunities that person is given, particularly those from an Indian, Pakistani or Bangladeshi background. 
The report also stated that only around half of employees across most ethnic groups feel able to talk to their manager about their career aspirations. Approximately a third of both BAME and white British employees feel that their managers make assumptions about their career paths and aspirations. So thank you, Cynthia and Robert, and links to the research can be found on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com, where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter as DiversityPod, and don't forget that's diversity with a C, not an S, DiversityPod, and Diversity Podcast is available on Bright Talk and all good podcast channels. We'd love a rating because it all helps to promote the show. So, John, something you were saying earlier about reputation, let me just come back to that for a second, which is, you know, here we are in 2019 as we look ahead, you know, coming also to the end of the decade, dare I say it, what are corporates thinking about? Well, reputation is massively important, and particularly in the UK, the whole uh, fairness debate, which is largely apolitical, solutions are political, but the debate is apolitical. Organisations who are not focused on improving the diversity in their organisations and not focused on creating more inclusive workplaces, actually their reputation as a, not just an employer, but but as a provider of their services or products are significantly damaged. And I think that Organizations need to recognize that. And in order to move the dial faster and and more sustained, they need to recognize that they have to make diversity inclusion a critical business issue. And approach that like any other business critical issue, having appropriate action plans, appropriate policies, appropriate accountabilities, appropriate resources. And that's going to be much, much more difficult as we continue in 19 and move into and continue to move into more difficult times. And so it requires strong leadership. And it requires organizations, leaders throughout the organization, particularly often called the permafrost, the middle managers, who frankly are the ones that on a day-to-day basis create the culture in that organization to stay focused on doing the right things by all their people, whoever they are, in all the critical decisions uh, on a day-to-day basis. And is it in this world sort of driven by technology and driven by change and, and you know, the world is, is, is shifting sort of so much that it's really important that we do find the talent that we need in diverse groups as well. Uh, and so, Noreen, let me come to you just to wrap up the show, really, which was kind of final thoughts about when you were you and your networks and the way in which you interact with corporates. Any sort of lasting thoughts that people should go away with? Yeah, definitely. I would just say if you are working in DNI or are working in those sectors to just address address DNI as more than just the statistics and the tick boxes and see it in a more human in a more human way and more a more empathetic way um, and you know to collaborate more so look at organizations who are doing work with grassroots organizations who've been on the ground for for ages and who understand those issues and challenges um, and collaborate with them like um, there are lots of organizations like Muslim Women Connect out there who'd be happy to work with um, corporates and give their advice and send people and help them build their pipeline. Wonderful. Well, that's a very optimistic way to end the show, knowing that there are there are ways in which to reach out, but also how organisations think about diversity and inclusion really very much as a business critical challenge. So I'd like to take a moment just to thank you both so much for joining us today, John and Noreen. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. 
Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.